What is up, guys? It's me, Ryan Cabildo, one of the church planning apprentices here at Miles City. And I would just like to take a moment and say welcome. Thank you for tuning in and checking this out. Um, being a church planner, what that means is I'm called to, to get equipped here at Miles City and, and then get prepared to start a church. And we're actually, me and a team of people are starting a church this October 2nd in Wayne, Michigan, called Lanterns Church. Now, the thing about building a team as we're learning, the more and more we look at God's will and we build this team known as the church, we're realizing that a team is so much more. We are called to be a family. And when we actually understand the blueprint of God's, God's plan for us as a family to be a church in Wayne, we're seeing that the environment, the atmosphere is literally changing as we grow as a family. The way we're learning to trust one another, the way we're able to open up and be accountable and speak into each other's lives, to, to encourage one another, I mean, it is game changing. And now in my life, I am learning more than ever how important it is to treat people, God's church as family. And even though I always loved family when I was younger, I never valued it as much as I should have at times. There were times where I did not value my family and I just easily isolated myself. In a lot of those situations while I was growing up and learning about the value of family, I found myself pushing away and making horrible decisions, making choices that affected me. And no one that cared about me was close enough to see into it, to even speak into it or try to help me stop it. And me on my own, I failed many times. One of the times that really gets me, that I share with a lot of people, is that when I was 19, I bought my very first house. And it was a fixer-upper. We got it off of a house auction. It took four months to make it livable, all the repairs that it needed. But we got it done, and that was because my family came around me, came alongside me, and they helped me out, and we fixed up that house. The thing was, though, when we finished fixing up the house, and my family then left my household, and they weren't there every day like they were when they were fixing it up, I thought, man, it's my time to run the show. I get to be lone wolf. I get to make the rules. I get to choose what I do. I got my own house. And I isolated myself and started making bad decisions. Decisions with alcohol, drugs, sexual sin. The, the list goes on and on and on. And what happened was because I was already in isolation while doing these things, that then it just made me want to be even further and further away the people that I knew would want to help stop me. And it just got worse and worse and worse. Isolation is so dangerous. And that's one way how it can affect us. Maybe some of you guys can relate that are watching. But also there's so many ways that isolation can affect each and every one of us and bring negative effects on our lives. So much that even scientifically, when we look at people that study it um, and show what isolation can do, even the CDC has put out articles that show how bad isolation is for each and every one of us, especially as we age. Isolation has a negative effect on us. They have things to saying that like uh, social isolation significantly increases a person's risk of premature death from all causes, a risk that may rival smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. So being isolated has just as much weight as smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. It says social isolation was associated with about a 50% increased risk of dementia. Poor social relationships characterized by social isolation or loneliness was associated with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of a stroke. And the list, there's so much, the list goes on and on. And there's studies all around that talk about the damage that can be caused by isolation. 
Another thing that many organizations support is they support the news that isolation is a huge thing that brings on um, depression, anxiety, and even pulls people sometimes to the, the action of suicide. And I know this sounds really heavy, but I'm pretty sure if we take a moment and think about this, we can even understand in our own lives where isolation maybe caused some of these effects, some of the anxiousness, some of the, the worries, some of the, the damage that's been done in our life. But it's important that we know this because the reason why I shared this is in light of the good news that I want to share. That the opposite of isolation, there's a blueprint from God, a plan that he wants us to be in community. That combats the isolation. He wants us to be in community. He says in the beginning of scripture, the beginning of a time, God, when he created the skies and the earth and the waters and the stars, when he created all this stuff, the creatures, after every time he goes, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then when he gets to the man and creates the man, and the man standing alone, and something we have to realize, it's easy to look over. This is before sin entered the world. The man standing alone, and God looks at him and goes, this ain't good. It is not good for man to be alone, and he makes a suitable partner. Showing that we need to have partnerships. We need to be with other people. And from there on, to the middle of Scripture, to the end of Scripture, we see it so consistently throughout all the book of the Bible, that we are meant to be in community. We are not meant to do life alone. And if we try to, there's dangers and there's damages, there's hurt that will probably be inflicted into our life. And he loves us so much. He has a blueprint, a plan to help us combat that, to, to go the opposite way. Instead of isolation, be in community. And that's what we're going to dig in today. How to be in community, how to be the church, how to take care of people that are less fortunate, how to invite the people that are isolated or that feel less fortunate than other people uh, in the church. But first, before we dig in any deeper, if we could close our eyes and take a moment to pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. Just be able to share your word on your teachings. Please prepare our minds and hearts to hear and learn what you want us to learn. Guide my tongue as I speak. Help me make myself available to just move away, uh, out of the way, so you can work in and through in this time. And we thank you for your love and for your blueprint, your plan, for us not to have to be alone in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we've been going through this series called Blueprint. And what that is, is it's a series that we're talking about God's plan and what he has for the church and what he has intended for us to live out. And so this is Paul, that God's working in and through to write letters. Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. And Paul is here writing a letter to Timothy, someone that he even refers to as his son. Now, not biologically, but Paul has discipled Timothy. He has adopted Timothy as a son to disciple him and teach him the ways of Jesus, to teach him and instruct him how the church should be, how the church structure should be, how we should take care of people. I mean, he is letting us know through the book of Timothy. And today we're going to dig in to chapter 5. So if you do have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And while you're searching there, I want to remind us that this is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy to instruct the church. So this is a letter directed to people that are believers, followers of Christ. 
Now, if you're someone that does not consider yourself a follower of Christ, I want you to know we are so thankful that you're tuning in today, that you're hearing this, because this is good for you to hear, too. This is, this is very important for you to know that maybe you might hear some of the struggles that are going on, and you realize, wow, there's a God that loves me so much that had provided answers to some of the solutions that I've been feeling while going through my life, to see the plan that God lays out that he wants you to live. And for you, that if you are someone that considers yourself the church, a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that it's very important that we don't just hear this today, but that we also then try to live it out, that we make a change, because this is an important plan, that we choose God's plan over our plan, that we follow his blueprint for the way life was designed to be for each and every one of us. And so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says, Never speak harshly to an older man. But appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Paul is telling Timothy, we must, as the church, treat each other like family. Not just people we see once in a while. Not associates, but family. And he's talking about how we should treat our family. It's also a call to remind us that even our biological fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, we need to treat the elderly respectfully. We need to treat um, younger girls with purity. And so not just in our biological family, but also the church. It doesn't matter if they're not someone that lives in your household. If someone is an elderly man, not only woman, there is a form of character that is asked upon us to be able to treat people in a way of respect. We should honor sisters of the church with all purity. We should look at them like you would look at your own sister. Now, I understand if you are married, there are blessings. If you're pursuing some for marriage, you don't look at them as your sister. But if you are not doing that, if your intentions aren't pure, and for things that God has designed for us, every woman in your life, man, we need to value them and treat them like sisters. We need to treat them like family. And I emphasize on that because sadly to say in this world, uh, we do at times, we mistreat women as, as a race. And that is not right. We need to treat them as sisters with all purity. And I hope we are striving to do this. I hope as a church we can say we are striving to treat our family right, but also treat our church as family because it's so important. It goes then on to say this. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay the parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. This is a reminder. And, and he's using the situation of widows here to show us that if there are widows in our church, that we all have a part to do in this plan, this blueprint. If you are a family member, if you're a grandson or a granddaughter or a son or a daughter of someone that is widowed, someone that is struggling and alone, and they need help. They have needs that could be helped. It is us as the church to help out our family members. It's not just on the shoulders of the leadership of the church, but us as the church. We are all the church. It's our job to take care of our family. 
And then so that the church can also truly take care of the widows that don't have family to take care of them. And if we all do our part, people should be taken care of. People should be looked out for. And this is a blueprint that God has for our family. We call the church. So please don't miss this. We need to take care of our community. It's really big to realize that community in Christ is a family. If you find yourself as someone that understands that God wants us to be like family, I would like to challenge all of us with this question. Is your church, the people in your church, do you look at them as family? Or could you maybe be someone that just goes, well, I see them on Sundays. Or I know of that person. Or I know, how about even the bigger picture, not just the church we go to, but God says the church is a family. That's the big church. That's all churches that believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do we pray for those churches? Do we pray for the other people? Do we treat them like we would pray for our own family members? If we're not looking at people as family, I'd like to challenge us to take a moment and realize, like, this is me too, that we should take a moment and reflect, what can I do to treat my church gathering more like family? What is something we can start even this week? Who can we reach out to? Who can we connect to? Who can we invite into our houses to break bread with? To be a family. Verse 5, it goes on to say, Now a true widow... A woman who is truly alone in this world has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead. Even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. Now the first thing I'd like to focus on is now saying that a true widow that the church is taking care of should be a devoted believer. Now, I don't want you to hear this wrong. I'm not saying if you're not a believer, like who cares about the other widows and, and orphans and the other things that scriptures show us to look out for. But what, what we're seeing here is that, yes, if they are devoted and they're praying and they are a devoted follower of Christ, they are a part of our family. God is saying it is our job to make sure they're taken care of. But also in the fact that we think about, well, then what about the people that don't believe? We need to understand the best way we can take care of them before even just meeting a social, uh, a social need or uh, uh, an act of compassion, which we can still do. But what they need for love is we need to bring them to Jesus. We need to show them the love and the freedom that we understand as a church that we've accepted through Jesus Christ and putting our trust in them. Our goal is to bring them in and then celebrate when they're here and then continue to make sure that they are taken care of. And so let's make sure that we are looking at what they're saying is if they're praying and they're devoted and they are part of our church, we need to make sure we take care of them. If they are not a part of God's family, we should, with all the love and compassion possible, find a way to show them who Jesus is. And so we can celebrate when they're also a part of the family. And now it says these instructions so no one will be open to criticism. I don't know about you. But I've heard a lot of people that would consider themselves not church people say, I just don't see why I would go to church. I've had people tell me, hey, it's, it's cool you do your church thing, sounds cool. But I've just seen people that said they were the church do things worse than the average person. They don't even look like they truly care for other people. They're selfish, they're greedy. There's all this room for criticism. And so right here we're seeing God's reminding us that 
being a part of his family, we're called to be set apart. Now, I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but we're supposed to wake up daily and try to pursue God and learn the plan he has and the blueprint he has for our lives and live it out. And when we do, it should set us apart in a way that people can't criticize us, but instead be curious and open-minded to who this God is that we have relationships with. And so please make sure that when we do this, we do it in the right posture, that we do it in the way God has planned for us to do it, to keep us above criticism, to keep us above reproach. And so knowing what we just talked about, it helps us understand the weight of this next line. In the next verse, it goes on to say, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, had denied the true faith. The true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. I know that seems heavy, but it's true. He's saying, if we don't take care, if we don't do our part taking care of our family, we are worse than unbelievers. Because how could we as believers... If we claim that we trust in Jesus for what he's done for us, if we know there's a God that so loves us and sent his son down to earth and sacrificed so much for us after living a perfect life, if we've had that and we understand how that changes our lives and, and we, we go and proclaim that, but yet we don't take care of people, it looks like we don't understand that the love that was so freely given to us. How dare we not then give it to others? Our walk should back up our talk when we share who our God is. And if we don't, we'll be perceived worse than unbelievers. So let's make sure that we understand how much God loves us. When we're struggling, let's reflect back to God's living word. And let's look and see how it shows us over and over again. If you need um, a place to encourage you, go to any of the Gospels. Go to Matthew, Mark, um, Luke, John. It's over and over again. We see the love that Jesus had for us. The love, the love, the love, and how he served us. And so that should help us then respond and, res and, and serve others and, and to, to encourage us to stay committed over and over again, always being committed. And so that would bring me to my next point. I want to make sure that we understand that we must remember that commitment in Christ is consistent. It is a consistent, ongoing thing that because God continually shows us favor and favor and favor and serves and serves us and helps us, we should then be able to consistently be committed. But also how we're talking back to the scripture, how it was saying how we should take care of the widows, it shows the importance of them even being committed. That if we're committed to God, God has a plan to take care of his people. And so if both sides, the helpers and the help, are committed to God, there is a plan to help people and to meet people's needs. So we should be devoted. There's, there's a time when Jesus is talking to people and they're talking about what's the most two important commandments. It's love God and love others. But to truly love God and to love other people, it takes devotion. It takes commitment. So we need to make sure that we are devoted and so the letter goes on to talk about the way to help widows. It talks about the standards that the widows should be living and the things that they should be doing more and more. It goes on again, like we've seen earlier in the chapter, talking about the elders of the church and the ways that and Timothy is being instructed of how they should be. But now I sort of want to jump to the end of the letter. At the end of 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
starting at verse 24, it says, Remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. They will be seen. Now, there's a couple important things I want to point out here. The, the reminder of sin. If we are someone that we think, hey, I just got to look like I'm a better person. I need to look like I'm following God. Whether your sins are obvious or if you're someone that hides your sins continually and they don't come out right away, God still knows you are still a sinner. We have a sin issue. I think we all can relate. We've all made mistakes. We all have a sin problem. That's why we so need Jesus Christ and the things he did for us. But we need to know that it's not whether if people catch us or not. Our sin problem is between us and God. And that's something we need to work on. We need to repent. That means to ask for true forgiveness and move away from the sin and move towards God. And so when we know that, we can truly understand and lean in and know why we should trust Jesus Christ as our Lord. And the next thing it says, the good deeds. Some will be obvious. And the good deeds done in secret someday come to light. And that points out that we need to understand the heart issue behind good deeds. We need to understand why we should help the widows. Why we should love the family as a church. It's not so we can get recognition. It's not so people think that we're great. To be honest, we all meant it. We make mistakes. We're all imperfect people. But the reason why this is important to have a good heart and why we're trying to do good deeds, not be recognized, is because who is perfect is God. And when we're imperfect people trying to live out God's perfect plan for each and every one of us and pursue the perfect God, there's honor that will happen between people, but there's glory that will be given to God. And when there's that glory that people see because of the deeds that we're doing, they'll wonder, why is that person? Why is John? Why is Lisa? Why are they different with their family? Why do they treat the people around them at their church? Like, why do they treat them like blood? Why do they treat them like family? Why is it that everyone around them seems to have needs met and they're taken care of and everyone is noticed? Why are people walking around with confidence for who they are, even through some of their messes? See, if we do it with the right heart issue, the glory will go to God because of how great he is and what he does in and through us when we make ourselves available. And that we see in scripture prompts people to be curious, to know about the God that we have a relationship with. And so we need to understand that our contribution for Christ is selfless. It must be selfless. And that has to do with our heart. It's for his glory, not ours. It is his plan and he should get the credit. But as we follow, we'll see the differences in our lives and the lives of people around us. I've seen it in so many people's lives. Here, even at Mile City and in the community of believers in this local area, that when we do things for God's glory, when we do things for his blueprint, his plan, I've seen reconciliation. I've seen marriages healed. 
I've seen people that felt broken feel whole again. I've met people that felt confused and lost, and yet through Jesus, they felt found. And it is true, they are found. I've seen people that have been captive to addictions, to greed, to whatever selfish thing or sin or whatever thing they were struggling with, and yet through Jesus Christ, they have received freedom. The captives have been set free. And it's not just me. So many people have testimonies. And it's because of who God is and what he's done in our lives. And because of that, we should be able to then take that light from God. And he says, then go share it into the world through the darkness. And so why we should do that, how we should do that, I hope that we learn that today. But if we could, we'll recap real quick on these three things that I want us to focus on. A community in Christ is a family. We are a family. Commitment in Christ is consistent. It is consistently happening over and over again. There will be commitment. And contribution for Christ is selfless. And so if you are someone here today that goes, yes, I am in Christ. I am for Christ. Please take these statements and reflect on your life. And let's, let's make a movement. What would it be like if, if all of us leave here after hearing this and we start trying to live these things out a little bit more? To bring a little more light into the world that so much people have seen so much darkness. And so if you do consider yourself a Christ follower and you understand you don't just go to church, but you are the church, I, just, I would like to challenge all of us to grow in these things. And if you're someone here today that's like, man, I, I've never been committed to following Jesus. I've never committed to God's family known as the church. I, I feel like maybe you're even someone that has went to church for years, but you've never felt like you were the church. Or maybe you're someone that's here today that's just checking out Jesus for the very first time. And you're checking out and learning about the church, the family that he has for you. If you're someone that has not put your trust in Jesus, I want you to know that there's a choice for you to make that's available to you at any time. You could even make it right now. And that choice is to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's to trust in the Jesus that built community for us to have a church. He raised up disciples and taught them and loved them and loved the people around him that were stories. When people tried to shut him down and put him to death to end his story, the whole world couldn't help but learn about his love, to hear about his love or to trust in the Jesus Christ that was so committed to helping the less fortunate, not with just his words and teaching, but also with his actions, with compassion on earth. He was so committed to us, he left heaven and came down to earth for us. That's the Jesus you can trust in. You can trust in the Jesus Christ who consistently contributed to us so much that he gave us the ultimate contribution which was his life. This was a God that so loved us, he came down to earth and took on flesh, taking on the life of a man on this earth that had to deal with emotions and temptations, all the things we deal with, and he lived a perfect life, not deserving any price of consequences or pain or hurt. He lived a perfect life, but yet still for us, he contributed his life on the cross. He was nailed to a cross. He was covered in other men's saliva from the spit, just being repeatedly spat on him. 
He was mocked. He was made fun of in so many ways. But yet he still was allowed himself to be nailed on that cross to pay the price for each and every one of our sins. Man, it says that when we were still sinners, that this is when Jesus came down. The people were sinning and he came down to love them. So if you are someone that, that is like, well, I'm too messy. I don't know, Jesus died for you for what you're doing right now. He died for me for the things that even I might mess up in the future. He paid the price for all sin. And so when we go to him and ask for forgiveness, we are forgiven. When we move away from that sin and move towards him and trust in him and his blueprint, if we trust in him as Lord and believe in our heart that he died and rose again for us, it says in scripture, we will be saved. We'll be saved in the moment, justified instantly, from now until all eternity, when later on we will be in heaven with God. And so if you are someone that wants to trust in that Jesus, if you want a relationship with this God, if we could just close our eyes and bow our heads. I'm just gonna guide you in prayer. There's nothing special about what I'm saying. What matters is God shows that if we confess with our mouths that we trust in Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that he died and rose again, defeating death and conquering sin, like I said just a second ago, you will be saved. So if you wanna just, if you wanna make that move, I'm gonna guide you in a prayer so you can make a step to trust Jesus Christ. I want you to just say this, dear God, I'm sorry for my sin. I confess my sin to you. I believe that you, Jesus, are God. Thank you for dying in my place, paying the price for my sin. Thank you for rising again for me. I lower my pride and surrender. I surrender my life to you. Right now, I put my trust in you, Jesus, and commit to follow you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And as we continue to pray, for everyone that is listening, God, please continue to help us Scripture says to ask for help. Help us learn to look at our community as family. Help us to authentically, intentionally love one another in a God-honoring way. Let us not be strangers, but be a family that gathers together. God, guide us to, to be committed consistently over and over again. Help us to be committed, God. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the things you've done. And I thank you for the things you're gonna, just that we know you're gonna continue to do. And in that, I pray as a church that we continually, as a church, God, I pray that we contribute as the church, that we know we don't just go to church, but that we are a church and that we're called to be selfless and in the response of how selfless you've been for us that we serve others because you first served us, that we love others because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So I thank you. And I, I just hope that we continue to move towards God's plan, his blueprint that he has for each and every one of us. And if one of you today, if you were like, hey, I'm accepting that blueprint for the first time. I want this relationship and to be guided by God 
Um, if you made that move today, we'd just like you to text Mile City to 94,000. And that's so we can connect with you and, and be the family that God calls us to be and walk alongside you on this adventure.